Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number 2, and oil and find out. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. G'day everybody, Aaron Noonan here. Great to have you with me on the V8 Sleuth Podcast powered by Repco. This week, it's part two of my chat with Gary Scott. And on this part, we really get down and dirty. We get right into it about his tumultuous season with Nissan and the Skyline program of 1986 that started not how he intended, and it certainly didn't pan out how he thought it would. Of course, he took pole that year in the Nissan Skyline. If you haven't seen the vision of that, got to have a look it's uh it's up on our facebook page too at v8 sloop on facebook it's stunning stuff we cover a lot of ground in this second part we talk about his time with peter brock and his second go with hdt of course he was there earlier on in the piece in the 80s uh we also talk about crashing the famous 05 in that testing crash at lakeside we talk about the mitsubishi touring car that really was going to be the thing to take over from the stallion that could have been the car to take on the Nissan GTR could have been Godzilla before there was a Godzilla. We talk about his secret V8 supercar test and a whole bunch of other stuff, including uh, the National Motor Racing Museum couch racer questions, and Gary tackles the top 10 shootout as well. Right, buckle in. This is going to be good. Part two of Gary Scott on the V8 Sleuth podcast, powered by Repco. So we've gone Bluebird. Yep. Nissan. Yep. Skyline's coming finally after a, a wait of a year. So do you think at the start of 1986 that you are driving full-time in one of those two cars? Yes. And then you weren't. It's, you know, they say hindsight's a wonderful thing. How at the end of 84, the very last race, I'm answering this sort of back to front, but how sat, we were sitting on the rocks at um, overlooking Amaru, just waiting for a race or something, he said to me... Um, you know Nissan's not going to own the team next year. We're going to sell it. And at the moment, Fred looks like he's going to be your boss and take over the team. I said, oh, okay, that's interesting. It'll be great fun. Fred and I get on great. Yeah, we used to even go on holidays together and Christine. And, um, you know, at, at times, uh, I remember a couple of times, it's Surface Paradise, we'd catch up on holidays. Um, and I thought, oh, that's, that makes sense. And then afterwards I went home and I'm thinking – I think Howard asked me, would I be interested in taking on the team? I think that's what he was actually asking me. He hadn't made a decision. Now, I don't really know if that's what he was asking me. Howard used to be a little indirect, subtly indirect sometimes. So I never paid any attention to it. But he always said to me, he said, yeah, you and George will be the drivers. There's not, nothing will change. Um, you know, Glenn will be a co-driver and, and whatever. So... I did all the training and kept up and I, I lived in at that stage on the Sunshine Coast and had a young family. Uh, 86, I had a little girl, Amber, who was three and a son, Glyn, who was only just born. So, and we had lots of ice cream businesses and petters and was doing charging around the world at a million mile an hour. Um, but I was totally committed to driving the uh, Skyline and we um, – Howard kept saying, uh, you know, What's happening? Oh, no, we're getting you down for the opening and da-da-da. And, like, this is a true story. It sounds and – and it's how Gary Scott perceived the world at that moment and whether this is true or whatever. So we turn up at this um, Peter Jackson do and the truck's there and we've all got our uniforms. And I look up at the transporter and it's got Fury Seaton. And I look at the thing and go, that's odd. I don't say anything. And – no one had said anything to me. And I, I just assumed Glenn was a young driver, going to be our co-driver and um And in the days here of not having a contract? Well, we, we, we did have contracts. Did we have contracts? No. Mm. I had contracts with Mitsubishi. Mm. No contracts with Mitsubishi. But we're in a sort of a semi-pro. Oh, all hand, not, these no, days a driver no, it doesn't it was all go drive. Shake a hand a, and, yeah, yep. it was a shake a hand. And, um, no, there was no Nissan. But they, I certainly was paid by Nissan and paid well. Um, the so that 
rang an alarm bell and I said to Howard, just what does that mean, quietly? And he said, oh, well, you know, uh, you're going to drive the car and but we're put there and Bo's helping now and Bo's involved with the engine work and stuff. I said, what I didn't really know was Fred had owned the team and bought the team and Boad was involved as well. Um, of course they're going to make lead in the team. Like, you know, I'm putting money or effort into this thing. It's my son. You mm. know, if, if if someone had said that to you, then you get the explained, but it was never explained to me. Mm. Very you just don't drive. Very unprofessional. I'll leave it at that. I was being offered drives with other teams and I used to go to Howard and say, Howard, and I didn't do the first few races. I said, Howard, when am I driving this car? And I'm going to tell this story to the end because it – Go for it. It still pisses me off. Mm. So Howard, um, I love Howard, but he, he he was obviously didn't make any decisions. He was just the front man. And um, so I said to Howard, I said, what's really going on? Oh, you know, you, we were going to drive and Glenn's da, 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 da. Just there was never a straight answer. So I – I've said to Fred one day, I said, Fred, what's happening? You know, what's really going on here? When am I driving the car? He said, oh, yeah, you'll get your drive. Yeah. Nothing ever happened. I used to have to come ring up. Anyway, one day, finally, Fred said, okay, we're racing at Surface Paradise. We're up here on May. So they've done four or five races and watching the car. No, no But I'm gradually getting more and more pissed off watching this happen. So uh, Fred, Fred says, turn up, Surface Paradise. I get there on a Thursday. Um, I think it might have even been Friday. It was, might have been a Friday. And everyone's there, Robbie Franchevic, who I knew, and um, all the Brocks and all the – and the, anyway, um, I turn up at 10 o'clock. Barry Tapsell, by coincidence, had come down. He, I'd met him there. And I'm just sitting in the pit and I knew Wynn and I, I didn't know really many of the other guys. Knew jo uh, George Smith, was he still there? No, he'd, I think he'd left. Mm. Yeah, he'd gone. He'd, anyway, um, they're going round and round and round and round. I'm watching around and I'm thinking, oh, they've got to – don't know what's going on. And anyway, Fred said, oh, have a go. Get, get your gear. So this is 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So I get in the car and I go out and I do one or two laps slowly because I hadn't driven really for a year or two. I'd, it was August and I last drove and sat in the race car. I go around and sort of find my way around and, God, this thing's terrible. This is a <laughs> bucket of shit. Anyway... Um, and I think, no, effort. I'll just do what I did. So I just mirror out the way, just focus. Do, I had a little ritual I used to do when I want to go fast and I just got into it. I just drove the tits off it. I, they said, how, I asked you how much can I rev it to? Seven, five, I think they said. I'll rev it to seven, five. I drove it as hard as I possibly could on the first flying lap. No boards, no nothing. So I'm going around, did five laps, six laps. Next minute I see Fred come over to the, the fence and I get this little little finger, you can't see it, I think, but a little, just not a board, not an in, not another, just, just a finger. In. Yeah. So I come in and I drive into the pit and I get out and there's no boys. There's no one there. There's only Barry Tapsell standing there and they're all sort of gone this distance. And I look around and, it, it, it's, and I still vividly remember this picture in my mind. I look around thinking there's something strange going on here. And I look up and there's Robbie Franchovic absolutely laughing his head off on the top of the, the um, pits, looking down at me, just laughing his head and shaking and sort of almost clapping. And I'm thinking, I have no idea. What's... And I said to Tapo, I said, like, Fred didn't, no one came and spoke. They were all over in the pits against the wall. I got out and started to get changed. Anyway, he, he said to me, you've pissed off a lot of people here. You are, I think he said, a second quicker than George and Glenn. They had been there all week. So Andy Bartley's the first person who comes over to me and he says, good job, he said. What the fuck are we doing with these clowns in the car? You should be in the car. Andy Bartley's words. So Francovic's laughing. Because he saw going, how fast I went. The threat is downstairs but not racing. Correct. Right. Yep. And he goes on and wins the title. Um, so he, he had the biggest free kick that year because in 86 – I was on it. I was driving at my peak. It was my time. I was told I was going to get the drive. I was going to go win the championship. Uh, you know, I there were some times in '84 when George and I drove together that um, the the world was changing. Let's say that. Mm. Um, 
anyway, I just was so angry that, you know, people didn't say what they did. So I got to drive at – so I, I got to drive at Lakeside, I think, a Which few by rounds. by then I, I looked it up, was the eighth round of ten. Correct. So For the cha- touring car champ. So here's, here's little stories that big professional team goes on in this day and age of car guys. So I, I – practice on the Friday and we do all that and that's fine. I've sort of – I know Lakeside like the back of my hand and it's a real driver's track, anyone mm. I'll tell you. Mm. It, it's not very hard on tyres but there's big bumps and you've got to go certain places to go fast. Um, anyway, I go. we go out in qualifying, the first qualifying, and I do the first lap and the clutch cylinder, slave cylinder jams and i got no – it's free wheels. I hadn't even done half a lap and I roll around and stop on the straight – because I'd just gone past the pit exit. The car sits there all practice, no time. Ah, oh. so I said, the boys come back and said, oh, it's only a little push rod. And I think, oh, really? So, you sure, win? Yeah, yeah, it's okay. So I go out the next session. They said, well, we'll just put you on some race tyres. You've got to do a lap or two, mm. and then we'll put you on the qualifiers, which in those days we had qualifiers. And, and they were really qualifiers. And they were really yeah. qualifiers. Yeah. So I go out and I go charging around, no board. I do my first flying lap and... And I get an in, which is, you know, okay, I've done, I've just bared it in the race. Got a time. I'm on the ball. I don't even know what it was, but I come in, I'm sitting there, and it's a 20 minute session, and everyone's not coming to me. And I, think, and I get on the, on the radio, hey, Fred, Fred, where's the, where's the qualifiers? Come on, let's go, let's go. You know, I'm ready, I'm ready. Oh, no, no, we're good. Just, just hold on, hold on, hold on. I think I, um, my memory's not exactly right, but anyway, I qualified third on race tyres. You're right. And I, brought, I brought the stat sheet with me. Okay. Qualified third. Ah, and I could have gone at least another second or two quicker, and what I didn't realise was George hadn't matched my times at all on qualifiers. I didn't know that till afterwards. So Fred didn't want to put me on qualifiers because at that stage it was all about George winning the championship, and that's, that's fine. I understood that. So I thought, that's odd. Well, I didn't even get to qualify. Um, so have you had a blow-up with Fred along the way here or have you just quietly helped no, no, us no, in no, the whole no, way through? No, 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 no. I don't, I'm, a, I'm a very patient fellow. I can be a bit of an animal when you get the, ra- the red mist come down, but I'm, it all switches off when I get out of the car. Um, I'm pretty passive, I guess, sort of, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> except, <laughs> except when needed to be. Um, anyway, um, a stra- strange combination, they didn't understand it, um, third on the grid. Okay, we get to the race day and, of course, um, Fred's saying, you've got to help George. George is the way. I said, yeah, I understand that, George. Uh, Fred, you know, um, you've got to – he's winning the championship. I'm not in it. I'll help him. I'll do whatever I can. Okay. So we take off in the race and, of course, I had n- I'd never done a start in the car. I spun the wheels too much, dropped to fourth, I think, and Brock didn't get a good start either. Crosby jumped him. So George is leading, cross second, and I and I got a really good run on Brock and, and set him up a bit in carousel, and I came up out of there and we side by side and he just walked me into the marbles and I go scooting off down the grass for about 500 metres and nearly hit the fence and I thought, oh, this is a great way to start my career with the skyline, crashing it on the fence. <laughs> anyway, I got away with it. Um, I've... There's one section, if you look at the thing, if the car's about a foot in the air, I've hit this bump, but I kept it sort of pretty quick in fourth gear. I'd come firing back in front of Charlie O'Brien, who's another mate, he sort of let me in, good on Charlie. Um, And then I'm into it. And um, I came from, I don't know, fifth or sixth, then back up and Brock and George and I went at it. Mm. And it was one of the best fun races I've ever had. They were both holding me up tremendously. I could have easily gone a lot faster, but... I got to Brock and he was being held up by George and I gave Brock a few touch-ups. Anyway, we had a, a probably one of my better passing moves that I can remember when I passed him in the, the loop and um, coming onto the straight and he was very upset with that. And uh, anyway, we came second and I caught up to George and just sat on his bumper bar, gave him a couple of waves and thumbs up and uh, off we did. We finished first and second, which was great. I then went to Winton the next meeting and um, I was on pole and George was third and um, 
same deal. I only got to drive the car late on Friday. Glenn had been testing it all through the week, and I didn't know the diff ratios or any. I was see, I didn't even, I'd never even been to Winton, didn't know where it was. Anyway, we ended up pole, and in the race, I got a, a good start. Jim nearly got me, um, but I slowed up. So Jim, I'm first. Jim's second, and George's third. So I'm thinking. This is interesting. What do I do now? How do I get your... Uh, I'm winning, but uh, I'm, I, the aim of the game is to get the other so guys. So I'm sort points. of talking to Fred and what to do. And um, Anyway, I'm slowing up Jim. So Jim's realised what's going on. So about by the second lap, he's just belting my bum. Skank, <laughs> either get out of the way or I'm going to buff you. So I just thought, oh, effort. To put, push the mirror up, didn't look behind, just drove off into the distance. And I think I got a fair way ahead, but the tyres fell off the car. We used to have trouble with rear tyres at the end of the race and Jim got back near me at the end. But we were, I think we were a long way ahead of George and I, don't, I think that was probably the worst thing I could have done for my career in Nissan by winning that race. And then to rub salt into the, indus, into, into the wounds about two weeks later, because then I'm supposed to go to Oran Park the last race, I get a phone call from Cam's, could you bring your licence in? What's that for? You've lost it, you've been suspended. And I thought, what for? And apparently I got rubbed out of it because we had a rear brake cylinder that was a sixteenth of an inch oversize. And um, I, in completely non-performance, it was just something that somehow the scrutineers found out that I had a oversize rear brake caliper, a piston in my car, and I got disqualified. And um, George then moved up to second, so got him back into the championship near Franchovic. Um, didn't drive at the last race. Um, mm. Or in part, was the last no, race in the championship. I don't know why. Mm. Anyway, uh, we went to Sandown. Uh, Which, by the way, was the very first race meeting I ever went to. The 86 Castrol 500 at Sandown. On the first lap, and the field all comes flying around, and I'm, I don't know, five or six, whatever, and here comes this 15 skyline, and the front of it is belted. (laughs) And, of course, there's no big screens for a race fan in those days like there is now at lots of races. Can't hear the PA because the cars are whizzing past. Have no idea until we get home that night and see the ABC replay as to why. So why was your car smashed when I was a kid and saw it go past me? Okay, so um, uh, George was on no, Brock's pole, George is second, I'm third, and um, I didn't do a very good qualifying lap, and I freely admit it, I buggered up the first one, and I just didn't quite nail the second one. Mind you, I really hadn't driven on that track either, I had no experience of racing there, but that's no excuse. Um, anyway, the long of the story is... Um, George gets a great start, I get a great start, he's first, Brock's second, I'm third, Gricey's fourth, and we're going up the back straight and the skyline is exposed with full tanks of fuel, as we said, um, and we're a little slower than the Commodores under full tank. So George is right on the left-hand side blocking, blocking Brock and I'm right on the left-hand side blocking, blocking uh, Gricey and Gricey's towing past me and he just... Miscued. He didn't. He, he wouldn't never have done it deliberately, and I know he wouldn't have. But um, he he buggered it up, and he drove straight into the back of my car, lifted it up, turned it sideways, and here I am doing 150 mile an hour sideways, heading for a fence, and I and I lock it up, and I just go in this very gentle arc, bang into the fence, and the front's going down the fence, and this god almighty noise that everything's bits of shit are flying off the front of it. And I'm looking at it thinking, I'm sideways, I'm in the fence and I'm not doing anything and I'm angry. So I get off the brakes, turn hard right, back it into the track and I'm fourth still. And I remember this is you know, vivid pictures. I remember I came out right in front of John Harvey in the second dealer team car and his eyes are like saucers. Of and what I'm, he's just seen. <laughs> just what he's seen. And I'm driving backwards at 140 mile an hour and he's driving forwards and we're looking at each other, literally a bonnet this apart. This is a little wrong. Something's this, this, wrong this, so, It's wrong on so many <laughs> levels. Anyway, 
Um, I thought, no, I'll do a, uh, a handbrake turn here because I must be getting near the corner. So I'm watching in the mirror where the corner is. Which is the old back straight centre. Yeah, where, where we it, had did the hard show. Go into the infield, yeah. So we're getting up to it. So I, when I, you have 70% front braking, 30% rear. That's a pretty generic rule for racing cars. So I knew the front would lock up if I really stood on it and it's going backwards. So I stuck it in, clutch in, stood hard on the brake, reefed the steering round, did a handbrake turn. Pulled second gear, second gear, but quite didn't get it. I missed it and buzzed the engine, but got second. And I came round. I'm still fourth, <laughs> and I'm thinking, hey, what's going on? So we're on the radio, and George, Fred didn't see what happened or realise. He said, "Gary, what's happening? What's happening?" And I said, "I'm fucking going to kill Gricey, Fred." He said, "What?" I said, "He's just." Anyway, he said the car. He's and then by this stage, I've driven past the pits, and it's flat as a. Shit Carter's hat and bits flying off it and Fred's saying, what's the temperature doing? What's I said, it's getting hot, Fred. He said, how hot? I said, 110. He said, come in. I said, no, I'm going to kill Gricey. Anyway, we, we had this conversation for about a lap. I'm going to get him. And I'm, I was so <laughs> I was I was out to get him. Anyway, Fred's saying, what's happening? Like, this is 30 seconds. You know, it's every couple of seconds. What's happening with temperature? Next minute, Fred gets on. Uh, Les is down here telling me, Grice, he said, don't come and kill me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, they obviously all knew what was going And um, Alan went on and um, I think he broke – no, he didn't break down. He came third. third. And you um, finished second. We, so so I came in and the boys looked at it and uh, Wynn and um, – Andy told me afterwards, they just looked at all the intercooler, uh, um, sorry, the uh, um, internet, uh, I don't know, um, turbo, the turbo pipe, intercooler pipes. Yep. That's what I was looking for. Intercooler pipes were all bent and twisted, and the car had absolutely a flat front. It had no aerodynamics <laughs> at all. And it was just, and the wheel alignment was out, and the steering wheel was half a turn out. So it was all it was crazy. So they said, they put the bonnet down and said, off you go. And I, Fred, I said to Fred, what do you think is going to happen? He said, I, well, none of us know. We think it will stop and we don't think it will go far. And I said, well, I'll go slowly for a couple of a lap just to see that it doesn't break or anything and then I'll um, um, get into it. Mm. So I did, did that. And the thing, to its credit, went to the end of the race but I got going and um, really drove it very, very hard and thought it would always break mm. but it never did. And we got back to second by mm. the first pit stop, mm. which – um, was okay, and we ended up coming first and second. Mm. But the car was so badly damaged, they well, couldn't. It wasn't good for the publicity photos of the two nice cars crossing the line. Like one's nice, one's like got a, it's yeah. like a French bulldog. It's had its nose shoved in. Well, we couldn't we couldn't take it to Bathurst because it was so badly damaged. They couldn't repair it in time. So it was amazing that the car got to the end. Yeah. Mm. So and then Bathurst, we sort of started it with the start of our chat, mm. the pole lap. The, yeah all the stuff that went along with that. Was that of the Bathurst, is that the one that got away for you oh, God, of, yeah. a, of a win? Like the Bluebirds yeah. were fast but fragile, but that yeah. was probably the, the best chance you had. Yeah, I I just – it was one of those weekends. When I got there on the Wednesday, I felt very comfortable in the car. At that stage, George and Glenn got the new car, which was – Which wasn't a good thing. It no, at the end, no, it wasn't pretty because they didn't have the spring rates right and they used a different roll bar. It eventually became a lot better than the old car, but they just didn't quite hit the sweet spot fast mm. enough. The old car, we knew it was spins in the middle and used to jump all over the place and twist. And knew you, it, I had. knew it. Yeah, yeah. And anyway, I I had the old original car, which was the number one car, which was George's car. And Terry Shield and I, um, away we went. But from the Wednesday first practice session, I was on it. I didn't miss a single gear change. I didn't miss a single rev. I didn't miss a single brake marker. I never missed a single thing. And I was driving right at the top of my game. And we were a lot quicker than George and Thingo. And it was just one of those meetings where I knew what to do. We, we had the um, we come qualifying and we were, I think we were third or fourth fastest. Fred had those tyre warmers mm. that were a wonderful idea but we didn't – people don't realise, everyone was talking about it. They took them off half an hour before we went to drive 
like I sat in the thing waiting. <laughs> Which sort of negates the It negated the whole idea. We, we didn't know. <laughs> so the car had a terrible trouble with qualifiers just getting him to, in cold weather to turn them on because the car was too light for that compounded tyre. But anyway, we went off and did the qualifying and um, we um, – you know, the cars were quite different in top speeds. I think George and Glenn's cars were about six mile an hour faster than mine up and down the straights. But um, I was pretty wound up with the whole situation by then and um, anger is a wonderful motivator for things. So I thought this is my own you know, go. I'm Hardy's heroes. I'm going to have a go like I always did. And I really had a big go. Um, little stories, uh, people talk about it and see it, but... I touched two fences in the lap, um, not hard, but I deliberately touched them because I went there, I, in, I ran off, I got up, came across um, uh, McPhillamy and the car had, it has quite a hump there, the car went up on two wheels and I had to sort of um, just use a bit more road to get it straight so it wouldn't roll because I was right up high, but I kept my foot in it. And I went off into the dirt a bit, dropped it, kept my foot flat in the floor. Didn't <laughs> bat an eye that flat in the dirt. And if you look at the car, it's shooting giant rooster tails out the back. Um, so that was a, a big risk. But the parts that I remember in that lap, not touching the fences that are coming onto the main straight, uh, the cutting, and uh, I touched a, a fence sort of exiting the cutting going up the hill, but down there with Forest Elbow. Mm. Yeah, Forest Elbow, I touched the fence. I gave it actually a good wipe. Um, I The things that I remember is uh, McPhillamy, foot flat in the floor and going over Skyline. And if you watch Bathurst and you're a bit of a – I actually power slide down to the right-hander before the dipper. I actually had my foot flat in second gear and the car broke away and it goes right around there and I do a Scandinavian flick. Because I thought, oh, this isn't going to be tricky. <laughs> so I'd never done that in another car. And um, so I was having a very big go, very big commitment. Um, and then, of course, the thing that I also remember is coming over the last hump. The car used to leave the back. The back wheels had come up in the air. It got up in the air as normal. But I, as I was halfway up there, I just put my foot on the throttle and it was pulling max, you know, maybe eight, nine grand. So when I landed, it spun the wheels because <laughs> I thought I've only got to go one more corner. <laughs> I'll either, either there or it's going to blow up. <laughs> anyway, and then, of course, um, when I came onto the straight, with the Bluebird days, we actually could drive the cars on two wheels. You would just sort of get it back down off two wheels when the bonnet got in the way. So I just picked it up on two wheels and shortcut it across the corner and um, – yeah, kept job, my done. Foot, job done. Two seventeen one five nine. For those who were wondering, yeah, what the time was. That was the time. So. Yeah, and then so it was third in the race. Yep, with you and Terry Shear were driving together in the enduros. Yep, that year. So was it? There something went wrong along the way. For yeah. Memory. So just quickly, we were we didn't couldn't beat Alan. Alan uh, in pace. Alan actually. And Brock had a problem. Alan was out in front. Um, we were pulling him back all through the race. He had a bit of a diff issue with oil. So he he was in a bit of trouble. We would have got back to him and got to him. But on the second last pit stop when I got into the car, I took off and Fred rang up on the phone saying, there's something coming out the back of the car. You need to come straight back in. And it popped an O-ring on the oil ring, on the oil filter. It's 20 cent piece, wasn't glued on. All the boys apologised to me afterwards saying, sorry, it was our fault, we forgot to glue it. Like Wynn and Andy, they all, to their credit, came and apologised personally to me to say sorry because it cost us the race. But in those days, I thought, oh, bugger it. I didn't win it this year, I'll win it next year. Mm. But next year never came because I never was in a car that could ever win again. Mm. Um, So we, we we came back in. It took a couple of minutes to sort it out, wash it, and off we went again. I think we lost the race by 60 or 80 seconds. It wasn't a lot, and we missed second by 20 seconds or something, but we lost three minutes in the pits. Mm. Yeah, and it, 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 we would have been, we should have won the race by a lap and a half. Uh, sorry, half a lap, mm. if you look could've, at the maths. Should have. Yeah, that's motor racing. That's everyone Bathurst, has those stories. It? And yeah. on everyone has them. Yeah. So the, then the irony is that. Harvey finishes second, who you've driven with before. Yeah. He finishes second. 
But then the Brock, the great Brock explosion of February 1987 happens. Just one thing you just said, and this is and this is personal, and I like saying this because I did love the guy, Johnny Harvey. I'm on pole, and I've just Gracie's just done his lap and Bathurst, at Bathurst. Yeah. This is Saturday, backtrack one day, and I'm on pole. Charlie O'Brien and John Bauer. I'm standing with them in the Volvo pit. My guys are sort of next door and bit of house are going there. Anyway. They clapped me on that. John Harvey literally had tears in his eyes. He came up to me and he said, Gary, your old man would have been fucking proud of you. And to this day I still remember him saying me that. And they're things you remember mm. when you get older and think back. Like they're important. That's cool. And that's cool. Mm. And, you know, that he didn't need to say that. You know, mm. it was opposition. And mm. um, anyway, the um, – Oh, yeah, it almost brings tears to my mm. eyes thinking mm. about what he did mm. said to me. But because, you know, there were people out there that genuinely cared for me. So, yeah. if you had your t- before we jump into dealer team and Mitsubishi, and we'll, mm. we'll, we'll speed it up a little because we've, we've gone through a lot. Yeah. If you had your time over, yep. What would you have done differently in that? Maybe that 86 season is probably the okay. one that's the, the key one for you. Okay. I, I should have had possibly someone older. Than me helping me with managing managing my affairs and my from my a racing point of view. Racing yeah. point of view. I should have been firmer. I should have been more direct and said, "No, that's not acceptable. That's unprofessional. You do not treat people like that when they're list- really are li- risking life and limb." Mm. You know, I made very big commitments when I raced. Um, you know, I put it all out there, mm. and um, you know, and then to be treated like shit. I, not everyone did that. I did meet some unbelievably, and we're coming to that stage mm. um, where there was another team I then joined. It's like night and day. Was just the most professional, wonderful people. And so anyway, I, I'm talking. We'll talk about it in a sec, but it's George Shepherd and uh, um, Doug Stewart mm. and the Murphy brothers and Graham Jenkins, yo, and Mitsubishi. Yeah, fabulous. So would you have? Maybe lifted off at Winton, give up that race win. No, would that have changed anything? No, I. Or were you I, I your cards no, were no, no. I wouldn't have lifted of off because I was so angry with uh, the team with how they treating me. Uh, if I was with Brock or Dick, I would have absolutely lifted off mm. because that was the rules. Mm. Um, you know. In, Did you think about leaving in that middle of the year when you yeah. weren't getting what you were supposed to get, or was it the fact that yep, you're I did still think getting? Of, Paid or there's probably phone calls that going. Hey, yeah. you want to come and have a mm-hmm. steer with us? And yeah, all those things were going on, but I didn't want to leave because Howard said we got bigger plans for you next year in '87. We want to take you overseas, and right, and I thought, well, that'll work. That works for me, um, but it never happened. Nissan did go overseas with Howard, but they took Gricey. Mm. Remember yeah, and Win Percy, yeah, yeah. '88 yeah. might have yeah. been, yeah. yeah. And you know that that was being discussed then, and that was my goal to go back overseas to. Conquer the world. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out. So we, we said before, you finished third at Bathurst 86. Yeah. The great Bro- – so Harv's finished second. Yeah. The great Brock explosion, which is the greatest automotive disaster in Australian corporate history. Yeah. Basically, he had this amazing business yeah. and it all blew yeah. up in a week and in, in Feb. And not only that, infrastructure and people and fan base and mm. he – Look, I, I'll never hear a bad word about Peter. I did love the guy. He was very fair to me. We, he was the best racer to race. You knew exactly what he was. He was an amazing driver. Um, never put anyone into a fence or bury you. Hard as nails to race against. But he just made the most dumbest business decisions. And, you know, I have an engineering background and what he was telling me, he one day spoke to me for about an hour and a half when I was driving with him in Simmons Plains and I said to him at the end, Peter, I honestly got to look you in the eye and I said, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, and he unfortunately, I don't understand and I not even begin to comment, but I don't understand how he arrived at that place mm. and I'll leave it at that mm, mm. because he had, he had the world at his feet. So Brock has this business issue Moffat's gone. 
Harvey's gone, bunch of people are gone, Holden money's gone, Scotty's back. Yeah, I um, got a phone call. Um, well, back one step, uh, the moment at the end of the uh, 86 when Fred rang me up and said, we don't need your services next year, within one hour I had a, was getting a phone call from George Shepherd, who said, I have heard that you're no longer driving with um, – Nissan next year, would you like to drive with Mitsubishi? The long of the story is um, Freddie, uh, John French knew what was going on, told George Shepard. George Shepard rang me. I didn't even know who George Shepard was. All I knew who he was but didn't know him. And I, 15 minutes into the phone call, I'd agreed on a deal, agreed on a wage, agreed on a system. But the, the thing was I couldn't start driving till August in 87 because they had currently had drivers um i think it was kevin and and and, and and brad jones brad jones was the factory driver and they just needed to do the right thing by brad and uh, bring me into the team at a later date so there was no fallout politically um so i was a free agent and i wasn't doing anything till um 87 till mid 87 august 87 so Literally after George rings, um, not long after that, Brock rings me back and says, Gary, um, no, not Brock. Um, Brock did ring, but uh, check, he rang second, sorry. Um, his Greg uh, Jones, the checkbook. You got him checkbook because he's an accountant. Checkbook Fair rang on. me and said, Pete wants me to give you a call and see if you want to come back and drive. Um, there's a bit of change going on down here. Uh, and I said, oh, Okay. What's the deal? And he said, oh, we want you to drive the Commodore next to – I said, what about Harvey? Oh, no, they're all gone. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. All right. So I said, yeah, because I thought, damn right, I'll drive a car. I'm not doing anything else. And I like Peter. Um, so we turn up at – I turned up at, call, at for Calder, the first round of the Touring Car Championship, and we – and I went to – Fishman's Ben, where it was wasn't it where he had he had moved oh, from Chetwin Street. He was in Port Melbourne, by Port, that Mel stage. Port Melbourne. Port Melbourne Street. It's not that's there anymore. No, but, yeah. that's right. Port Melbourne. There's a Bunnings there these days, actually. Anyway, I turned up at Peter's uh, establishment, and it was a very strange setup. And straight away, you knew things weren't right. So we, I don't think we even did we practice. I don't think we. I don't oh, think we might even. Have, but probably not a great. Like we did, and I we didn't. We turned up at. Called her and it was like strange. And everyone else, there were a lot of professional teams starting to get going in '87. We had, you know, um, Andy Medici had the yes, Oxos yeah. and Dick had his Dick shell deal now, yeah, and, and the yeah. Nissans were going gangbusters. And Larry was firing on his um, Commodore. Um, yeah, there was quite a lot of cars going, good cars going well. Anyway, Pete and I turned up, and I think we, yeah, we definitely only practice. He qualified somewhere, not very well, I don't know, 8th or 10th, and I think I was a couple behind him. Um, I, I don't think I, I had to qualify on used tyres. Like the only first time I ever drove the car on new qualifying tyres was Surface Paradise. It used to be funny. He'd have new tyres qualifying. I would follow him into the pits. They'd take the new used qualifying tyres off him and put it on my car, <laughs> which is completely useless. Like I was, might as well put – They're cooked. They're, they're cooked. They're done. You might as well put bloody um, Barney Rubble tyres on. <laughs> anyway, it was very funny, but I was driving. So in the race, um, he stopped. I sort of worked away a bit forward, had a um, puncher. I picked up a puncher from a – accident and I went down the end of the back straight and the car wouldn't stop and I um, that was fine I, I clipped a car that was in the gravel or something um, anyway we get to Simmons Plains the next week and going along again can't really qualify because I didn't have qualifying tyres but in the race I was starting to move forward a bit and I was having a ding dong battle I'd passed a few cars and Crosby I'd passed him then he launched me around the at the back, old Cros. Um, that was one. Where do we go next? We went to. Uh, yeah, su surface was the next one. I brought yeah. the list. I come prepared. Ah, okay. But surface, I think you you had the race cam in. I remember that. Ah, uh, yes. Local Queensland. Yeah, 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 yeah. Made sense. And Brock no, was no, no, in no, the VL. no, no. Surface must be later because it was. There's a few rounds you didn't do. Yeah, no, I did. I did a uh, Amaru. 
So the third yeah. round was Amaru, the next week, and Greg, my best man at my wedding, oh, yeah. spins me on the, on the first <laughs> lap. And same deal, I had no qualifying tyres and, like, you've got to have qualifying tyres there. Um, so I end up trundling around somewhere. Um, we do go to Lakeside. That's the next one because – Oh, Lakeside was earlier on. So Lakeside was after Simmons and that's yeah. when you were driving 05. And yeah, and I crashed it. Yeah. Um, so – Peter and I, we started. He started to get a bit more money and a bit more organisation. So we're there on Thursday testing the cars and going well. I was driving the old car. He's driving the new VL. Um, anyway, sorry, he's driving the, the newer car. They're both VKs. Both mm, VKs. Yeah, correct. Yeah. And anyway, on the Friday, they wanted me to do more testing in Peter's cars with some stuff that wasn't right. And I'd always looked at the kink at Lakesiders. I reckon I could go through their flat. And I went through their flat. And the second lap, I went through there and Peter had a shock absorber system that was just so, totally different to the, my Commodore, the Commodore I was driving. And it did a like a bunny jump and, it, and I believe it locked something or anyway, the car did a jump and it jumped sideways about – four or five feet, and I put two wheels in the dirt. Didn't spin, driving along. Anyway, it just did a very gradual slide across the road, and I ended up in the grass, but I was doing 130, 140 mile an hour, and I drove for a, from basically the kink to the carousel in the grass next to the fence, and the fence came towards me. I couldn't turn, and it just caught the front of the car and then spun me around. It took the left corner out of the car, and because Peter had no spares, he jumped into my car and I didn't drive. They repaired that car and it's a car he won Bathurst in and there's his converted VL. Down the track. Yeah, down the track. So that wasn't a good thing. That was the first time I've ever really crashed a car. Um, in Australia, I'd crashed the F3 car in England, but that was the first time I'd ever damaged a car and... But what well, a car to pick. What the a car. famous zero so, so I... I, re I get back into the pits and, jo and George Fury had seen the accident and he'd sort of worked out pretty quickly. He was just watching up on the way out of the pits and he just shrunk his shoulders. He, he could see what happened and how I'd, I just was – I was dead unlucky. Like I, the luck wasn't with me. I, I hadn't spun, hadn't done anything. I was driving straight but the fence just – I couldn't turn the car on the grass at that speed otherwise it would have spun. Anyway, but we get back to the pits and I said to George, I, I think I better ring uh, – Peter, and uh, so I rang up Pete and I said, Pete, I've just buried no five. <laughs> really? Okay. He, this is a credit to the man. He said, are you okay? I said, yep, I'm good. I said, the car's not so good. He said, ah, we'll be fine. You're right. We'll work it out. And I picked him up the airport next morning. Uh, we drove out. He never, ever, ever once said, yeah, you're a dickhead or why'd you do that or whatever, um, which is great because he knows when you're going really, really fast, you're nearly, nearly crashing anyway all the mm. time. So they repaired the car. Um, I think – no, no, we got – did we miss I, – I think the next race – He took over your car for the yeah. next few and then they got only had one, and yeah. got – Yeah, yeah and then I got, got the – because yeah. he only ran one car for a round or two and then we ended up at Surface Paradise. Interesting round. Surface Paradise, I qualified uh, just behind Peter and but in between the two Nissans. And I knew it would be probably my last race with the team because he wanted me to go to Spa, and I knew August was you coming. Had the deal and I had this, and we're talking June or July or something. And I hadn't told him I was leaving, so I thought, okay. So you're gonna. So there's a few swings to be had here. You're gonna take a few swings at some Nissans here. Is this the? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't. No, no. I don't take swings at anyone unless they deserve it. Okay. Right. Okay. So <laughs> we take off in the race. I get a ripper start. Um, straight between Brock and I think someone else, whoever else was next to him, leave the Nissans behind, rounding up Larry on the outside and Peter's then following me and um, I nearly got to second and I, in fact I should have just – no, Dickie, Dickie was there. I, sh I was ahead of Dickie and I should have shut the gate on Dickie but he's a mate, I didn't really – I would have been a really aggressive what I did, so I just left him a half a corner, and he got he got underneath me, but then he I saw him fourth, and Peter's back. Anyway, I'm into it, and uh, Dick blows up on the first lap, but he drives for half the lap with the Sierra crunching itself, and we lose 
track of. Um, you can't see where you're going. Probably, no, I can't see where I'm going. Or and we lose track of the two in front, um, Jimmy Richards and Larry. The BMWs just was so suited to that track. In fact, Jim won by a country mile. Um, beautiful handling. Anyway, the surface destroys tyres, so I'm having a ripper battle, and um, I think Andy Madiki is the next one to pass me. But I'm driving the car as hard as it can go, knowing it's going to chew its tyres. Anyway, um, none of us ever had a plan to stop. It was that wasn't a plan A or plan B. It was just go to the end. Um, anyway, the Nissans uh, are subtly in my mirror, and I did make it hard for them to pass. <laughs> I didn't hit them, but I didn't let give them a free. Anyway, they walked went by, and um, we went. By. And Tony Longhurst and I had a rip of dice, and we I remember clicking door handles a few times, going around under the Repco Hill and stuff. But I was a country mile ahead of Brock, and I just thought this is really bad career move if I want to stay in Peter's team. But I thought no, I'm not. So I just got into it and um, drove as hard as I could. He didn't have a great race. Um, him and Larry had to stop. I had no radio. I couldn't talk. So I had the TV in the car and I'm saying to Crompton and thinking, oh, look, I know you can't hear me. I can't hear you. I think you can hear me. I'm trying to say this. <laughs> I will give you a running commentary. <laughs> Hope it makes sense. Use it how you will. And, of course, Dickie's blowing up and he's thinking it's a hoot, you know. Gary's talking to himself. It must be all those late <laughs> nights with his baby. And I'm trying to be professional and they're petting. And I've seen the race free play and, I, and even I laugh at what I was saying. <laughs> anyway, I'm giving running commentary of cars with rooted tyres and cars that have got good tyres and I, th I don't know. We came came somewhere at the end and um, that was it. I finished with Peter. But literally the next week or two, Philip rang me up and said, Gary, we're going to have to let you go. We've got to do something for Spa and we've got a few guys driving the car and um, and obviously there was money and stuff involved and whatever. But I said, that's fine, Philip. Pen, that's no trouble. I'm, I, in fact, funny as you might say, I'm organised. So he knew what had happened. I think George... Somehow Peter heard that I had was going to Mitsubishi, and he did the right thing. Mm. He did the what you do as a business. You get mm. he had some one of us had to say something. Mm. He just beat me to it by yeah. a day or so. Yeah. <laughs> so quickly, Mitsubishi, yeah. Starians, fabulous, good era. You, you enjoyed that. Oh, look, I enjoyed it. The reason when we and, – and people never – this is a story that's never been played out. When I joined Mitsubishi, the cars were really old and been around for a long time and beautifully balanced little car but old. No, no power. Um, George, one of the very first things I learned in when we got into deep discussions with them and the Japan, they were going to go big time in Group A. They had a car called the Stealth and it was a V6 twin turbo, 2.6 litre rocket ship. This is sounding a bit like something that another okay. manufacturer kind of ended up Yeah, doing. correct. They was were this a straight the 3000 GT. Yeah, correct. And in America, they called it a Stealth and they had massive discs on it and ceramic turbos so i go to and we in 87 the bathurst race we qualify 23rd 25th um the cars go i drive with uh akahiko nakaya and he very good driver he he i think he was f3000 champion in japan great dry, little drive i think he, he might have even almost got to f1 and anyway, we, we come from 23rd to 5th in the race. And, you know, people talk about all the rain and stuff and going on and carrying on. We're all out there on slicks. It's the most treacherous conditions. And we're going, I think, three or five seconds a lap quicker than the Nissans, George, I think, told me. You know, we were really – I love racing a car in the rain on slicks. That was – That's uh, up your alley. That was That's, my alley. That was yeah. my bread and butter. I had my best win in the Bluebird at 84 at Amaru in the rain in the slicks and no one, everyone else was on wets and I was on slicks. And um, anyway, the long of the stories, we came fifth and that was an – like that was just an outstanding result. And then, of course, we went to – I did races. I won the Macau Grand Prix. We should have so, – sorry, I won the Thai Grand Prix in 87. I should have possibly won or done very well with the Macau Grand Prix, but we had the wrong tyres. And um, I couldn't stop and put hard, uh, slicks on. I had to stay – finish the race on wets, which was – ended up, I think, came third or fourth. I can't remember. But um, when we were in Japan, in Macau, Mr HKS, who was the uh, – 
competition armour, Mitsubishi, they were testing, dyno testing the engine already ready to go for 88. And it had 750 horsepower on the first pull of the string. <laughs> and all George, uh, Shepard, myself, the Murphy brothers, Jenks, we were all so excited to get this car. We would have made Godzilla look like a, a taxi. And I thought this is really – and would you believe at the end of 87 they had a complete change of heart and they went back to going world rallying and the whole project got shelved. But we ran the car for another year. I tested some of their Japanese cars with 2.6-litre Starions, but it was too heavy and it didn't work. But the Starion was a brilliantly balanced little car. It had um, wonderful, wonderful um, – a, a cornering ability where you could carry great corner speed. And, we, you know, we had some fantastic results that we shouldn't – like there was a race at 88 at um, Oran Park and I'm on the front row of the grid with Brock in the BMWs and the Nissan. Oh, the, the, no, the, 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 the 250. Yeah, yeah, the, the yeah, yeah, Nissan, the skyline of yeah, Scafie and the, the Glenn. New, the new turbo. So thing, we're, yeah. uh, we're on pole and I was second. And then the BMWs, of, uh, which were really finely tuned by then, we out-qualified them. Um, yeah, we – we ran in the top 10 in several touring car races when the Sierras really had the big turbos mm. and all that. Like we had some outstanding results in a car that didn't deserve that. But unfortunately it came to an end and I sort of was getting more involved with business and family and it wasn't a priority to be Australian touring car champion or Mm, yeah, plenty of other stuff. I had do. lots going on, it, and I loved my motor race, but I started driving the Colourbond Jag. Mm. And honestly, that was probably the most enjoyable car I've ever driven. It was an absolute animal. It really got your attention. I remember um, the very first time I drove it, it had a seven-litre Le Mans engine and not six-litre. Um, Mark ran this thing and it had a four-speed transmission. It was the first. He's got two of them. And and I went around, Mark Trenouth. Mark Trenouth. Yeah, Colourbond Jag. Which was, was the McCormack Jag. part car. Yeah. M M23 McLaren with a plastic Jag body on it and a big V12 that sat under your right, left elbow. <laughs> so I got in this car and I went out to Lakeside to test and I went around one lap slowly. I went. I was in the carousel in second gear. I thought, well, I've got to go fast sooner or later. I put my foot on the throttle. I remember putting my foot on the throttle and absolutely thinking, cars do not go this fast. <laughs> it absolutely was like this warp speed thing. It was so much power than what I've ever, ever driven. Man, did you have to concentrate and be like, that car would bite you so fast and so hard. <laughs> and... They were, there were some pretty good cars going around. Greggy Crick had that Honda yeah. that was very fast and there was an Australian championship going on. We, you know, the, But like all racing drivers, 10 minutes later I want more power. You get used <laughs> to it all. And we didn't really have the power of the Chevs. They had 650 horsepower and quite a lot of talk about that. We did put a six-litre engine in when we started racing in competitions in the touring, in the championship and we just were down 50 to 100 horsepower. I could never get to the first corner first and I'd always spend my time. But, you know, let, let's put things into perspective of that day and age. So 1988, 89, 10-inch wide tyres, very little aerodynamics, cross-ply tyres mm. doing – 11s and 12s around Sandown, doing 51-4 around Lakeside. Quick. 49. I love three. how you remember all these. A good Four, racing driver always remembers their lap time. You can, you can remember what you were doing in the corners. <laughs> Never drove it at Sandown. Uh, sorry, Surface Paradise, but Lakeside, holy moly, mm. was it quick around there. Um, quick around Amaru. Um, Sandown was fantastic, but um, Mark said to me one of the, I think it was eighty nine while I was driving the Starion for um, Ross Williams with Kevin, and he said, "We go. There's a sports sedan race. Would you like to drive the Jag?" And I said, "No, I'm busy. <laughs> I'm busy. Don't want to do two hundred and twenty mile an hour down the straight in this thing." <laughs> Keith Carling and um, uh, was it Johnny Barnes? J Keith, they uh, they Jeff still Barnes. Yeah, Jeff, yeah, Barnes, yeah, Jeff yeah. Barnes, Jeff Barnes, uh, fellow Sunshine Coast boy. Jeff Barnes and think I think they still hold the fastest speed. I think Carling did what two hundred and twenty mile an hour in that three hundred ZX. Yeah. Nissan. it yeah. was it was well over two hundred mile an hour. Jeez. And we used to do a hundred and ninety mile an hour in the jagged air Adelaide International Race. Like 
they were quick cars and we're 30 years ago and they're, and they're st- space frame mm. chassis. Mm. Like they were bloody dangerous. So is it, was it Gold Coast? Indy. 92, that's your last race? Last race, yeah. And, and was it a case of business is busy, yeah. kids are growing up, yeah. wife, family, yeah. I've had a good run, I've, that's I've got other stuff to do here. Correct. Yep. And I just walked away and I think the next time I looked at a car race meeting was 1987. We'd moved, the family had moved down here because my daughter was very good at ballet and she was down in the Australian Ballet School and we up sold all our businesses and moved down and it took me about four or five years to get rid of all our business interests but um, we I've lived now in Victoria longer than anywhere else in the in mm. my life yeah. so I live in Mount Eliza and been here for since 2000 fundamentally so ballet brought you to Melbourne ballet now there you go so who would have thought who do, now I, I always love saying this because it's it is true Anyone that has a, a son or a daughter, a little kid, a little, and they talk about sport and things, there's only two exercises in the world that will make your kid smarter. It exercises both sides of the brain. It's gymnastics and ballet. Mm. Half the AFL teams do training sessions with the Australian Ballet because they, they have explosive muscle, stringy muscles, their core strengths are unbelievable. Like my daughter, who's now at the end of her career and has got two children, and I'm a grandpa, um, she's 38 and going to finish, I think, this year. But you know, she's 49 kilos of rippling muscle with a core strength and a six-pack that anyone would die for. <laughs> like it's it's breathtaking how fit. I thought I was fit. Not even <laughs> not, close. Not even close. Not even close. <laughs> You're not even in the conversation. No. Uh, quickly too. Um, yep. The motorsporttrader.com are some friends of ours. They deal in motor racing memorabilia and panels and parts and all sorts. Um, they keep the motorsport memories alive, motorsporttrader.com. Just quickly, are you a keeper of your racing stuff or did you let it all go, sell it, get no. rid of it, or are you somewhere in the middle? Um, I Look, in, in a good question, um, I drove for people. I never had any cars or that were physically mine. So when I, I anything motor racing I'd sold before I went overseas. I wish I'd owned. What about stuff like your suits and I've still got my suits. Bits and pieces. Yep, yep. I someone came to me and got me to sign my helmet that I put the car on pole in, and that ended up it's in WA with the collector that I know. Correct. Yep. Now, who, who sent a question in when we put this on socials that we're going to come and have a chat to you, asking, "Has he got any more helmets?" I do. I have well, two. He- I have two helmets. So I. Isn't it bizarre? Anything old becomes either valuable or interesting. Mm. Who'd have thought? Mm. Like, look at the race cars that I drove, and they're they're the only things I know, like the Bluebirds, and they're they're, they're hundreds and hundreds of thousands. In fact, Mm. some of them are a million. Mm. It's amazing. A whole other world. It's a whole other world. Who would have guessed? Um, National Motor Racing Museum at Mount Panorama, there's a diesel Bluebird there. It's not one of the race cars. It was one of the show cars. It looks exactly like the race cars, but the museum are great friends of ours. They present our couch racer questions where punters ask questions. Let's go rapid fire and see how you go. Okay. Uh, Callan Thomas, any differences in the Bluebird when it ran in sports sedans compared to touring car group C? Absolutely not a single thing except we put a bigger turbo on it. We did run T4 internals when we raced in group C, but we put a bigger turbo on that had a lot, literally, I couldn't afford to replace the turbo. So we put a turbo on that didn't have more boost. It could have more boost if needed, but it had a lot more lag. Mm. So it was technically a bit slower than the Group C days in performance, but it never blew up. So no, it didn't touch a single thing. Very helpful. Um, Gavin Neeson, what's your favourite race car? There's a fair few to choose from. Yeah, I guess the favourite race car that I drove would be easily, probably easily the Jag or the Bluebird. I did love my Formula 3 Cheetah. So there's that's not really a straight answer, is it? So, but those, <laughs> but they're different cars totally. So yeah. hopefully I've asked different, I've fallen into different categories. Favourite race car, it's very, you know, do you, do you say something of a Formula One car, do you? I don't know. Who knows? It's Who, a, you'd need a lot of research, Tom, need a lot of research. To, to go through that one. Uh, Shane Barker, how hard did you grip the wheel for that 86 Bathurst pole lap? Um, look, 
you don't think about these things. You, when a, a driver goes into that level, you go into what they call the zone. You, uh, all, everything's slow motion. You just do what you, you drive the car by the seat of your pants. I don't know whether I grabbed it harder or not, but you, you definitely had to hang on to that car because it didn't have power steering and it had no aerodynamics. So you're probably the best answer is not how hard did I hang on, how busy were you? Mm. And if you look in car, we're busy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, um, the 86 race and the, the shootout highlights are all on some DVDs that, by the way, for our listeners, if you go to bookshop.vatsaluth.com.au, you can buy a copy of the DVD and relive it for yourself. So, um, And quickly, you nailed the top 10 shootout at Bathurst in 86. We have our own top 10 shootout. It's like it's word association. Okay. I'll say something. Oh, you're worried here. This no, is where, you've, no. You've got a look of horror on your face no. here. <laughs> I'll say something. You tell me the first word that comes into your head. Okay. And you can't use the same word twice. Okay. Got it, all right? Bluebird. Fast. Bathurst. 86. Fred Gibson. Interesting. <laughs> John Harvey. Great guy. It's two words, but I'll let you have it. Lakeside. Favourite. Skyline DR30. Animal. <laughs> Peter Brock. The best. Dick Johnson. The best too. <laughs> See what you did there. Macau. Best track in the world by a factor of two. Two? Two. Doubly as good as anywhere else. And I'm including Bathurst. Whoa. You are the first person to say that on this podcast. But, in fact, I don't think I've spoken to too many people who've raced at Macau, so uh, you're on that list. Starion. Loved it. Nice. Um, what was – did you ever – do a little test anywhere later on after that Gold Coast 92 of you. What was the last time you, oh. you had a – because I know your brother Tony, remember, we raced proddy cars and V8 touring cars. Did he ever Did you coax you into have someone, a drive? Or? Has someone said something to you? Because that's a very – no one really knows this. Oh, well, this is what this podcast is all about. Okay, so this is a little bit of a secret. So in uh, – what was it, 2000, 2001? No, 2001. It must be around then. I was actually in a little interesting situation with business-wise. I had some um, court cases on my mind. I had some moving family. Anyway, there was a lot of going on. My brother, I was in Queensland at the time. My brother was driving with Cameron McLean. That's in, right, the, the VIP uh, Pet Foods some, Falcon. Yep. Yep. And Tony said, hey, why don't you come to Lakeside and have a test drive? And at that stage, I was actually in the middle of moving all my gear from the Sunshine Coast to Melbourne, and it, it sort of stopped under my mum's garage house, and it was sitting down. I said, oh, no. He said, yeah, yeah, come out to Lakeside. He knew I had my racing gear. He knew I, my head wasn't in a good place, and he knew, and God bless him, he knew what I really needed to do. So I went out to Lakeside. He got me to drive the car, and I'm driving around six laps, and I'm probably five to ten seconds off the pace and just thinking, this is great fun, but, you know, do I want to do Got out of the car. Okay, off you. They, they did some more testing or whatever they're doing. He asked me a few questions, and I sort of gave my two bobs worth, which he thought was sort of somewhere near what they were thinking. He said... So they tested a bit more for the day and then they said, um, so this is 10 years since I've actually sat competitively in a car at all. Um, he said, go go again, have another go. And I said, no, no. Anyway, long story, get in the car. I thought, bugger it, I'm never going to drive a race car again. I will have a go. So I did all my things, did half a dozen laps, no boards, came in and he said, do you know how fast you went? I said, no idea. He said, you were two tenths or three tenths slower than Cam and I. I said, really? <laughs> so there you go, everyone. Yeah, you, old dogs, you still can do it. Um, don't ever think um, you can't do something in this life if you really set your mind to it. And, you, you know, you, it's like riding a bike. You never forget. Mm -hmm. And, in fact, Mark wants me to drive the Jag again, and I would dearly love it. And he, he's actually jokingly said to me, you'll be just as fast as you were when you're doing it. <laughs> so I don't know about that, but, um, yeah. No, I, I was – I actually, it amazed me that it, it all comes back. It's a, it's a natural thing in your body. Um, like riding a bike. Like riding a bike. Yeah. Hey, did you and Tony ever race together? We raced – against each other. But never shared a car. No, it just never happened. Mm. He was only starting his career. Tony did an accounting degree and just was doing business things and travelling overseas and started quite late. Um, but we, you know, he's a very good driver and, you know, he's had, he never was in a position of a car to win Bathurst, but 
yeah, I think he's come fifth or something a couple of times. Mm. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a very good driver. Mm. Didn't quite work out to get you blokes together, no. but that's cool. We, we've unearthed the nugget that you had to drive a V8 supercar 20 years ago that mm-hmm. no one really knew about. So we've got a website story to help promote the podcast now. So thank you for giving us that. It's a, <laughs> it's a cool thing. Gary, thank you so much for your time. I know a lot of our listeners were really looking forward to uh, me coming to have a chat to you. I think we've covered... The full gamut from start to finish. Great to see you here. And uh, by the way, if you want a good deal on a car, come and see Gary at Mornington Toyota here in Victoria. I think I've got all the plugs in here. That's- you, you've, you've done exceptionally well. And in fact, you know, it's like opening a book and closing it, talking again about it. It's vivid in your mind, but it, you put it away. And it's something I've done and I treasure. And, you know, lucky I came out the other side okay. There you have it, Gary Scott. What an interesting guy. What an amazing motorsport journey. Uh, So many topics that we covered off. A huge thank you to Gary. He took a bunch of time out of his day, uh, at his day job at Mornington Toyota, to sit down with me and talk about his career, where he's been, what he's done, and what he thinks of it all looking back on it. So a huge thank you to Gary for for taking the time. It was really good. Really, really appreciated it. Now, don't forget, every Tuesday, the Castro Motorsport News podcast with Andrew Van Leeuwen and Stefan Bartholomew gives you the latest in contemporary motorsport stuff. Whether it's from Australia or overseas, the boys have got it covered. The best insight and analysis in the game. They are award-winning podcasters with the Castro MM podcast. If you haven't listened to it, you should subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can get it through Apple, Spotify, the V8 Sleuth website or wherever you listen to your podcast. Don't forget too, Thursdays and Fridays, it's Repco Supercars Weekly where I give you the latest and greatest of what's going on in the world of the Repco Supercars Championship. We've got some great chats coming up in the next few weeks with a bunch of people. Uh, Some of them are names you've heard of, but you might not know much about them. Some of them you know a bit more about than the others, but I think you'll find that there's some great episodes coming up in the next few weeks. So I'll join you next week for another episode of the V8 Sleuth Podcast powered by Repco. Thanks for tuning in. Listen to all the back issue episodes through the catalogue. We've had some great chats with some great people over the last couple of years. If you're a new listener, get cracking. There's plenty there, over 200 episodes for you to go through. In the meantime, though, I'll chat to you next week. And in the meantime, stay safe, stay well. We'll chat to you then. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online. Thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out.